Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Acts chapter 11. <clears throat> Acts chapter 11, we will uh, kind of land the plane for a couple weeks uh, here uh, in Acts and, uh, until the first of the year. It uh, serves as a good transition, as we'll, you'll see as we get to verse 18. Uh, and while you're flipping there, uh, Luke is at uh, Lake Forest Ranch. Uh, he's been here since Friday. That's the camp up in Macon, uh, Mississippi, where Scott at. That's well, Scott's hometown. Yep, there's Emma. Uh, anyway, uh, he's there. I think it's like six different youth groups there. Uh, he's finishing up this morning, so let's keep uh, praying for him uh, as, they, as they finish up. Uh, this morning. Uh, So Acts chapter 11, where we ended last week, uh, end of 10, the Spirit falls on the Gentiles, uh, and uh, we see that the gospel goes there to the Gentiles. And before uh, we kind of dive into the 18 verses this morning, I kind of want to paint a picture for you a little bit, because over the past really month, or really since chapter 9 began, uh, we've been kind of ground level, right, as in we zoomed into stories, and so we uh, we were with the church moving, and then, you know, things are happening in Samaria, Ethiopia, Eunuch, and then we have the conversion of Paul, uh, and so we're there for uh, really chapter 9, focused on Paul specifically, and then we get to chapter 10, we've really been just focused on Cornelius and Peter, uh, and then whenever we get now where we're getting now, we're at this, 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 this morning, what I want to do is kind of zoom back out and kind of remind us over the kind of the grand scheme of things of what's going on, right? So sometimes we, we get lost in the details, not that getting lost in the details of Scripture is a bad thing, but in the grand narrative of the book of Acts, we kind of get lost in just looking at individual stories. And I want to remind you of the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, when Jesus tells his disciples, uh, he says, Jesus came and said to them, all authority and in heaven on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of what? All nations. Right, And so uh, through the Gospels, uh, Jesus is confined really into a small region in Jerusalem. Uh, and then we see so far in the, in the book of Acts how it starts in Jerusalem, but through, now that we're through chapter 10, we see it beginning to spread out. So I want to remind of the Great Commission that we're called to be witnesses, that we're called to make disciples of all nations. He says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And as we began Acts, and Acts 1-8, kind of the, the summary statement, the thesis statement of the book of Acts, where Jesus tells his disciples that you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. And so it's important for us, to, as we're reading some couple thousand years later from when this these intended, we understand the full picture. But for them, they were living it out and, and their time, right? So the, for them, it, everything was new. For us, it's, it's, it's easy for us to kind of fast forward past that because we understand the, the end, end of the story. But for them, God is having to unfold it day by day, moment by moment, instant by instant. And so what we've come to understand, and here's a principle for you, a truth for you, that I want to remind us of this morning, and I think it kind of lands for this text, is that the means by which God has planned to build his church is through his church preaching the good news and making disciples. And it's been reminded of that's God's scheme, like that's God's plan. What we understand that how scripture from Genesis to Revelation is an unfolding story of God's redemption, uh, his plan of redemption is that God in his 
awesome wisdom and, and insight, uh, could have created any kind of plan to save the world, if you will, uh, or to get his message out. He's God. He could write it in the clouds for people to read. He could line up the stars in different letters for people to read. But the design, the, the means by which he has planned to build his church is through his church, preaching the gospel and making disciples. That's God's will for us, to preach the good news and and, you know, just a little sub point here is we ask, often ask ourselves, am I living in God's will? Am I doing God's will? An easy question to ask yourself is, are you preaching the gospel? Are you sharing the gospel? Are you, are you having co- gospel conversations with those people around you? Because if not, the answer is no. Because that's what he's called us to do is to be messengers of the gospels, to make disciples of gospel, of the gospel, to make disciples of all nations. But that's not where we are. But what we've seen in the book of Acts, so that's God's plan, right? Everybody with me? You'll be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth, all nations. And the, the, the means in which he wanted to get that gospel from Jerusalem to all nations was through his church, preaching the gospel and making disciples. That is the means in which his plan, everybody with me? Okay. Just, I know this is just we know this, but th- this is important. That, that's the means. And what we've seen so far in the book of Acts is in order for this to happen, listen to me, both then and now, there were barriers that had to be broken down, right? In order for the gospel to get from Jerusalem, Judea, to Samaria, to the ends of the earth, there were barriers that had to be broken down. We've seen those play out. We've seen them kind of, definitely last week, the, whole, the, the floodgates open, right? The final barrier to the Gentiles was officially shut down there. But what's going to happen in this text that I'm going to read eventually is that Peter's going to make it back to Jerusalem. And what are we going to do at that point? Well, how are they going to handle it? So we'll get to that. But there are two things that have to, had to take place for the, for the gospel to get to the nations. First of all, is that the gospel had to get out of Jerusalem. I don't think we understand how how great of a chance there was for Christianity just to become another sect of Judaism. Without the, without the control and the power of the Holy Spirit directing things, it very easily could have just stayed with the Jews and been another branch of Judaism. I'm thankful that in Acts we see not man making the gospel get to, the, to, to, to all men, but God orchestrating in the affairs of man, making sure that the gospel didn't stay in Jerusalem, even if it meant persecution. Like God in sovereignty was going to get the gospel out of Jerusalem. It had to. But here's the second thing, kind of where we're landing today, is that those who believe the gospel must all believe that the gospel is for all people. And that's for us today. And if, if, if God's plan is for us to be witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and there, to, to make disciples of all nations, I'm thankful the gospel got out of Jerusalem that it's in Jones County. But listen to me. In order for God to continue to build his kingdom, we who have believed the gospel must all believe it is for all people. That it is the only source of salvation that God has given man. That we have to believe that. And what we see in this text, and I'm, I'm going to read now, is that they finally land on it. Acts chapter 11, verse 1. <clears throat> says, Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, you went, to, uh, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began and explained to them in order, I was in the city of Joppa praying in a great, in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven. 
And by its four corners, and it came down to me, looking at it closely, I observed the animals and beasts and prey. So if you haven't picked up on it yet, he's literally just repeating the story that we just spent a month on. Uh, and so I'm not going to spend a lot of time diving into that, but I'm going to make some application to some things. But anyway, keep going. Look at, looking at it closely, I observed the animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. I heard a voice saying to me, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, by no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, what God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times and uh, all was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were sent, uh, in which we were sent uh, to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six, if you, if you underline if you underline your Bible, you can underline six there, make a note of six in your uh, in, in your journal or whatever. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house, saying, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all of your household. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, and just as on us at the beginning. And I remember the word of the Lord and how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then, uh, I love this statement, if then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God saying, then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Finally, the groundwork is done. They get it. All right, that's that's the, the, really from, from Pentecost to 18, that's what we've been waiting for, is for them all to get the picture. All right, God has given them uh, repentance that leads to eternal life. And uh, here's what's crazy. From Pentecost up to verse 18, most scholars believe there's been seven years that has passed. So for seven years, the gospel still hasn't, up until Cornelius, the gospel hadn't made it to the Gentiles, as far as Ezra, other than the Ethiopian eunuch. Uh, but when we're thinking about evangelism, this is something God's really shown me in Acts chapter 10, is that the, the idea of the gospel, how can I say it? All right, so the idea of evangelizing the nations, evangelizing the Gentiles in God's scheme wasn't just going and preaching a message so that they could be saved, watch this, but also that they could be included into the fellowship. Like it wasn't just this, this mission that they had to go preach a gospel so people get converted and they feel good about themselves and they get to go to heaven. But what God was doing was removing all the obstacles, not only for evangelism, but also fellowship. That they, they would be into the same body that even the Jews were. Uh, and so anyway, seven years had lapsed. For seven years, God was laying the groundwork to fulfill this great commission. And what we've seen, and I've already pointed our attention to it, is through every chapter, it is God who is initiating things, right? It is Paul's is going to Damascus to kill Christians, and what? God shined the light and blinded him. It was Cornelius who saw a vision from God. It was Peter who fell in a trance. So we see God not leaving these things up to fate, if you were a chance. God is the one leading and drawing. He is the one orchestrating conversions and conversations. And through man's obedience, the gospel is spreading. And, and really, all week, I struggled with really how to preach Acts chapter 11, because all it is, is or these 18 verses, because all it is is Acts chapter 10. Like we've already done all this. And then 
Then I thought, you know, if God says it one time, we should listen to it. But if God says it twice, we better take note that this is important. And technically, it's really three times because we, we read it at Cornelius, we hear it with Peter, then we hear Cornelius tell Peter, and then we hear Peter telling the guys. And so really, it's three times in two chapters, we hear the same thing over and over again as if God is saying, see it, right? Like, see this. And here's what's even crazier. Uh, this would have been written on a scroll, right? Like, like, not like our paper. This would have been written on a scroll that was usually literally just one long piece. And the longest scroll that scholars say that they've ever found is 35 foot long. Just enough space for 28 to 30 chapters, which is what the book of Acts is, right? And so think all that Luke had to write on that limited space, right? All, uh, think about the conversions that happened that weren't in here, but like things he could have talked about. But he takes up limited space on this one scroll and tells the same story three times and what we see is two chapters. So it's got to be important, right? Everybody with me? Like I, this week I was like, man, that's, yeah, it's got to be. We got to catch it that the gospel is for all people. Amen. We, have, we have to catch that. It's, it's even written, not just in the words, but the very paper that it was written on that it's important for us to understand the gospel is for all people. So if you're taking notes, the first thing that we see in this text is that the Jewish believers criticized Peter. So we, we ended last week that Peter stayed, right? Peter stayed there, dined with them, ate with them. So he stayed there, and then evidently, the news had already got back to Jerusalem before Peter got there. And they had developed their own, the, the Jewish believers, what we call the circumcision party here, uh, really what they would become later on is like what Judaizers, what, what they would teach is, and I might get into that, is that in order for a Gentile to become a Christian, he'd have to become a Jew too. He would have to begin to do, so if he wasn't circumcised, he needed to be circumcised. If he, he would have to follow the Jewish tradition in order to truly be a Christian. And so this is the, really the beginning f- fragments or fr- fragments of, fragments is not even a word, fragments, uh, fragments of what we'll see later on in Galatians. Right when when Paul writes and really gets on, yeah, Paul writes and gets on to Peter, because even Peter we see him backtrack trying to add things and doing that kind of a deal. And so this is really the beginning of what will will really plague the church for a couple years after this, adding to. Anyway, so they had they had heard, and they had already developed their own preconceived notions. And so when Peter came in, it was going to be like a drive by on him. I remember one time whenever I was youth pastor at Ellisville, I thought about this this morning. I had thought about it a long time. Uh, you may not believe it, but I, I'm not perfect, and I made mistakes, and I made parents mad often. So one day, I'm sitting in my office, and a mom uh, comes through. And so, like, what's real weird, in order to get to my office, you, if you're walking through what, the gym, now it's the Family Life Center or whatever at First Baptist Ellsville, if you're walking through the gym at that time, you're going straight to my debt. Like, you're going straight to my office. Like, you can't, like, it's not like this. It's this and this. And so, anyway, I see her walking, and she comes by my door, and she says something that keeps walking. And I said, hey, 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 hold up. I got to come. I said, listen to me. I need you to respect me enough to at least come sit down and talk to me, right? And if you've ever had a meeting with me now, if you text me now and say, hey, can we meet? You know what I'm going to ask you. Give me what it's about. Because I've been setting enough meetings that just people come in, right? Like they've had all this time thinking about what's going on in their life, and they catch it. Anyway, and you've been in meetings like that as well. 
This is what Peter walks into. Matter of fact, and it says uh, in uh, it says they received the word. So verse two. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision, the circumcision party criticized him. As in, this is an imperfect tense, as in it was over and over again. They had their preconceived notions without even hearing it from Peter, what was going on, and they, they, they blasted him. They bombarded him. And he says this in verse 3. Notice, it doesn't even, they're not even mad about the gospel. It says, you went to uncircumcised men and you ate with them. As in, you went and sat down like you did, like, they didn't even say you went and shared the gospel with them, but you went into their home and ate with them. We understand, we talked about it over the past weeks, how much there was a hatred for the Gentiles, so much so that, like, I know I've shared this already, but maybe if you weren't here, that the Jews despised the Gentiles so bad if a Jew went into Gentile land, before they crossed back into Jewish land, they would have to wipe the dust off their feet before they stepped foot. It'd be like if you were in Wayne County, before you got back into Jones County, you had to wipe all the Wayne County dust off your feet. I'm not saying, like, we'd hate. Anyway, sorry, I should have thought about that before. If you're from Wayne County, I was trying to show you a, a line. Anyway, that's what was happening. If they step foot, you have to wipe the dust off of their feet. They, they had disdain for them. So much so that you better not eat with them. That's one of the reasons I love about chapter 10, and I'm, I think it's come up on the thing, that in chapter 10, when that scroll goes down, obviously... Uh, the vision that, that he sees, he sees these animals clean and unclean. Obviously, it's a picture of, of Jew and Gentile, right? Don't call uh, common or unclean what God is called clean, right? It's talking about people, but it's also talking about the actual food. It is literally God is breaking the barriers. I wrote it down earlier that God is breaking the barriers of both evangelism and fellowship. That it's one thing that the Gentiles could hear the gospel, but it's another thing that they could be seen as brothers and sisters. That they could actually sit at the table and, and it just it startled to me, startled me this week when I was reading that, that they, the thing that they were so mad about is he went and ate with them. And I'm thankful that, that God has removed those barriers because that, that was a barrier that needed to be crossed, right? And for the, for the Jew to go evangelize and have fellowship with the Gentile, then the barrier of these unclean foods needed to be removed. And I'm thankful today that God has removed all of those things. And I just kind of wrote this down is there anything that keeps you from sitting at the table with somebody? And obviously, I know on one side, there's maybe our mind automatically goes to the extreme of somebody who's, who's hurt you, wronged you, and that's something we could talk about. But what we see here in the 10 and 11 is, is God breaking down the barrier of like prejudices. Is there anything about somebody in your life just on a surface level that would keep you from having sitting at the table with them? If so, then we need to repent of that because God has removed those barriers. Did he confess them and confess whatever's in our heart that thinks that we're better than such and such or so and so? Because the gospel is what? For all people. So they're criticizing for hanging out and eating with the Gentiles, the unclean man, as they said then we see the second thing in this text is that Peter explains and defends. In the beginning of verse 4, he kind of goes through, and I'm going to go through the whole thing again because, like I said, we've been through it a month. He tells of the, the vision of the sheet that came down. But uh, and notice that whenever Peter stands there, he, didn't, he doesn't pull rank. Like Peter could have said, dude, do you not remember that Jesus told me that I had the keys and whatever door I open, it's going to open? No man's going to shut? Like, you're, like, 
I'm Peter. I'm one of the three. He, he didn't pull rank spiritually or even in stance. He didn't say, you know, I'm the one that will walk with Christ in the inner circle. He doesn't pull rank. He literally just says the facts. He tells the story of what happened, but there are really two things that he does uh, that we see in this text that are great principles for me and you. This is kind of like pastor moment because like we live in a world of information overload, right, where there's YouTube famous preachers all over the place. We, we live in the day and age of First Baptist Church of Me. It's online. Uh, we, we like the music in one place, we'll listen to it. We like the preacher in another place, we're going to watch it. And, and if we don't want to sit through the whole thing, we can pause it and come back later. Like We have this, this information overload where everything, I want to tell you this, not everything that's labeled gospel is gospel. Not everything is up, that is labeled a move of God is a move of God. Not everything that is said to be the Spirit of God is the Spirit of God. And so there's something that really applicable that we see in this text that Peter references that really are a checklist or a test, if you will, of the Spirit. First of all, he mentions that there were witnesses. And notice he said in verse 12, he, he mentioned the six people that went with him. And I think that maybe by chance, or maybe Peter in his wisdom, before he went ever to see uh, Cornelius, he's like, all right, I'm going to bring six people with me. And the reason is, is because it actually went back to Egypt, but there was, they would have known that uh, in, in, in really in, 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 I can't even talk right now, uh, in, 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 that the spirit's here. Uh, <laughs> scholar. Got to get control of myself. Uh, seven has like, was authoritative, if you will. And so in, in, in Egyptian custom, if there were seven witnesses of something, there was no argument. Nothing there. Then later you begin to see the seven seals, right? Where like full authority, like it is, it is like this sign sealed, it's done, like this has full power. And so what well, one thing that we see that when we is whenever things are labeled as the, the spirit moving, because what Peter is saying, no, the spirit fell on the Gentiles. The Jews were like, how could that be? Well, first of all, there were people there that saw it and witnessed it. There were people who were experiencing the same thing I experienced. And they experienced. so one thing is that there are multiple people, all right, so are experiencing this. But listen to me. We never evaluate our experience by, by our experience alone. So what's the next thing that he does? He, he says this in accordance with the revelation. Look at verse 16. What is it that Peter remembers whenever the Spirit is falling on the Gentiles? He says in verse 16, Then I remember the word of the Lord and how he said, John baptized with water, and you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. What does Peter say? Listen to me. This is what Jesus told us would happen, that they would be baptized with the Spirit. How do I know it's a true move of God? Is one, because there are more, multiple people who experience it. But second, it's in accordance with Revelation. It's what, scripture, it's what Scripture teaches. It is in accordance with the Word. And that's a good checklist. There's many more. You know, John, 1 John tells us to test the spirits to see if they are from God. But not everything presented to us is gospel truth. And so we and you practically can go, all right, is this just like this one dude talking about this stuff? What's going on here? A and B, this doesn't line up with Scripture. Listen, not just like a, a verse of Scripture, because that's where people get in trouble. Almost this is not anymore in my notes. This is what happens. Most of our, our crazies, if you will, find this one passage of Scripture that is in contradiction to the rest of the council, but they build their whole theology and life on that one little verse. When you and I are looking to Scripture for 
revelation. We're looking to Scripture for authority or what we believe, even a doctrine, if you will, a principle, is we have to take God's word in its whole counsel. And if by chance there is something you're thinking about, there's only one verse in the Bible that speaks to that, then you can build your belief system on that one verse. But what you do is, is we, de- we develop doctrine and what we believe by looking to the whole counsel of God's word. Is it in line with scripture? How, how do we see God act towards men from Genesis to Revelation? Like, what is his character revealed with over and over again? What, is, what does the word teach us? And what we see is that Peter defends it by saying, listen to me, there were people that saw, but this is exactly what God, Jesus had revealed to us was going to happen. So, Peter there says, and there are witnesses, and it's in accordance with Scripture. I wrote this down. It's not coming to the screen, but I don't remember who it was. DC Talk or somebody back in the day, like, doing the new thing, right? Doing a new way. God doesn't act in a new way that's not a part of the Scripture. There's not, like, some thing that God has. There's not a way that God has revealed himself yet that is not in line with what he's already revealed in the Scripture. Now, there are things in in the end times that we have not seen yet, right? There are things that we don't 100% know how they're going to transpire, but when it comes to the character of God revealing himself and for the will of man, there's not a new way that this scripture does not include. So we test the spirit. Is it a move of God by those two things? The, the, The cool thing he says in verse 17, he says this, if then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us, as we believe in the Lord Jesus, who is I that I could stand in God's way? Really, here's a little theology of the Holy Spirit that Peter gives us. First of all is that the Spirit is given. That the Spirit of God that you and I have within us as the, then the, the seal of our inheritance, the anchor of our soul, the, the one who, 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 who walks with us each and every day, the one who convicts us of sin and guides us into truth, the Spirit that you and I have within us, first we have to understand the Spirit is given. It's not something we, he's not something we earn. He's not something that, that we, because we have some kind of favor better than somebody else, that it, it, is a, it is a gift. Listen to me, child of God. May we not forget that, that you walk through tough times. You walk through hardship. Yet deep within you, there's that source of hope and strength that keeps fighting for the next day, keeps fighting for the faith. That's not your own strength. That's the Holy Spirit in you that's empowering you to continue to walk. I'm thankful for that gift. It's not in our own strength and our own merit. It is a spirit who causes the new birth. He's a gift. Not only do we see the spirit is given, but he's the same gift. What does verse 17 say? He gave the same gift. And this is beautiful to me, the same spirit that fell on the, the Jewish Christians at Pentecost and the same Spirit that fell on the Samaritans in Acts uh, 8, this is the same, or in Acts 9, this is 8. The same spirit that, that fall, fell on the Gentiles is the same spirit. It's not that the Jews have some special connection and then the Samaritans are kind of less, they're second tier, and then us Gentiles are third tier that we don't have as much access to the spirit as they do. It's the same spirit that fell on the Gentiles. And he says here, to all who believe, if God, they gave the same gift to them he gave to us when we believe. All who believe are given this spirit. This is, I want to encourage somebody with this. No one has more spirit than anybody else. 
Maybe, maybe you find, maybe if you think about it like this, whoever your spiritual hero is, I can go to Peter and Paul, but let's make it more like personal. Your spiritual hero that you know in your life, you have the same amount of Holy Spirit in you as they do. It's a crazy, incredible thought that is given. It's the same gift, given freely. If you've ever believed in Jesus, you have the same amount of spirit as even as Peter and Paul. The question isn't how much spirit do you have, it's how much of you does the spirit have. The question for the believer is not how much spirit you have, but how much of you does the spirit have. I'm gonna kind of time out from the text and just kind of dive into this a little bit. Y'all good with that? I'm gonna kind of just jump in. If, if you don't like it, then, oh, well, I got the mic. It's something that we've seen over and over again in the, in, in the book of Acts. And Peter, filled with the Spirit. Yeah. Stephen, filled with the Spirit. We've seen it over and over again that they were filled with the Spirit. Wait, I thought they were, I thought they were filled back here. Why do they keep getting filled? Because there's a difference between being indwelled by the Spirit and filled by the Spirit. And dwelled is what happens when we are converted, when we are sealed to the day of redemption, that the Holy Spirit comes and takes residence. But Paul gives us a command, we're going to read in a second, to be filled by the Spirit, continually to be filled by the Spirit. Because even though I, I'm indwelled by the Spirit, and I maybe get filled by the Spirit this morning, I'm going to leak tonight, and I'm not going to wake up tomorrow morning as spiritually inclined, if you will, or walking in the Spirit as much as I am right now, because I may not get enough sleep. So what do we need? We need to be filled by the Spirit again. What does it mean to be filled? It's to be under the control of the Spirit. That there's an indwelling, but there's a, the command in our life for you and I to yield, to submit to the Spirit, for the Spirit to be in control of our life. Where Paul says that we walk by the Spirit, that the Spirit is the one that's leading us and guiding us and empowering us. Ephesians 5.18 says, so you may ask, how can I be filled with the Spirit? Let's ask there. I'm, I'm real simple-minded. You know that. So, how can I be filled with the Spirit? Everybody with me? Okay. Ephesians 5.18 says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, or debauchery, depends on how you say it, and be filled with the Spirit. So he gives this contrast, and I think it's a close parallel when it comes to what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit. He says, don't be drunk with wine, but instead be filled by the Spirit. I think there's a, there's a, con, there's a parallel between being drunk and wine, not that we drink wine to be filled by the Spirit. I think there's a, there's a parallel in this analogy that Paul gives in this command. First of all, how do you get drunk with wine? You drink a lot of it. Back then, it was so weak, you had to drink even more of it. So how would you get, you would continually drink the wine until you get, so there's this parallel. What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Is that ultimately you drink of the Spirit. That's what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 12. Verse 13 says, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews and Greeks, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, for we were all made to drink of one spirit. So how are we filled? We drink of the spirit. In John chapter 7, verse 37, Jesus, there's gonna be a lot of verses here, by the way. So if you don't like the Bible, you're in the wrong place. 
John 7, 37 says, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow the rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. So how are we filled by the Spirit? We drink of the Spirit. Well, how do we drink of the Spirit? That's a pretty reasonable question after that, right? Well, how do we drink of the Spirit? Romans chapter 8, verse 5 says, For those who live according to the flesh set their mind on things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their mind on things of the Spirit. So a part of drinking of the Spirit is setting our mind on the things of the Spirit. Colossians writes it like this. Paul writes in Colossians like this. Chapter 3, verses 1 and 2 says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. So to drink of the Spirit is to set our mind on, it means seeking and putting our direction to our attention toward the things of the Spirit, directing our attention, as I said, to the things of the Spirit, being devoted. So, all right, what are the things of the, of the Spirit? To be filled by the Spirit, we have to drink the Spirit. To drink the Spirit, we have to set our mind to the things of the Spirit. What are the things of the Spirit? Anybody else? Is this too simple? Y'all smarter than me? So how do, how do, what are the things of the Spirit? Well, I'm glad you asked. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul writes to the natural person. This is in context. If you go to read verses 8 through 10, this is, this is in context of God's revelation of his plan and his word. All right, so everybody with me? This is the context there. So 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they, are spirit, because they are spiritually discerned. So what are the things of God? Ultimately, the things that God has revealed. The Word of God, specifically, if you look into the, that chapter. Drinking of the Spirit is setting our mind on the things of the Spirit. The things of the Spirit means directing our attention to the Word. And if we do this long enough, we will be filled by the Spirit. Go back to that parallel. How do you get drunk with wine? You drink a lot of it. How do you get filled by the Spirit? You drink a lot of Him in. Specifically through His Word. <laughs> there, there will be no evidence or power in our life of Holy Spirit living apart from drinking in God's Word on a daily basis. But we have to remember that the Spirit is not wine. He is a person. The Scripture says He freely comes and goes as He desires. But thankfully, in Luke chapter 11, Jesus tells us this, if then... If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? If we want to be filled with the Spirit, we must pray for it. We sit at the, we sit at the Word and we drink it in. All at the same time, we're praying. That is our desire to be filled, to be controlled, to be led by the Spirit of God. Moving on, number three, if you're taking notes. After Peter gives his defense, we see verse 18. The Jewish believers see it. Verse 18, they say, 
It says, when they heard these things, they fell silent. They glorified God, saying, then to the Gentiles, that's it, that's it. Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Man, that's, a, that's such a beautiful verse. For seven years, God's been preparing the groundwork for verse 18 for the Jewish people to say, surely God has done this. I hope, I hope you fall in love with the narrative of Acts as we're seeing. Like, it, it, it's, it's incredible. And really, that verse sets up as a transition because we're going to see the first Gentile church get established in Antioch whenever we come back at the beginning of the year. But I just thought that would be a good place for us to stop to see what God has going on. So here's some more historical narrative stuff for you. Why seven years? And why did it take God so long to do that groundwork? Like, What were some things he's doing? Uh, First of all, if you take notes, number one on this is that the apostolic authority had to be established. Suggestion, so you mean there has to, no, this is specifically what I'm talking about. There is no Bible at that time, right? There is no new, there's no New Testament. So when God spoke to his people, he spoke through who? His apostles. So during the seven years, it was the time for the, the, the doctrine of the apostles to be developed. So that whenever new things came, was it something that came through the apostles or was it some freak from left field? I guess that'd be right field. But you follow me? So this time came that we're, these apostles were, were growing and their, 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 their doctrine was being developed. There was a foundation being built in these seven years. There was a teaching of God that was given through the apostles to the people of God. So that whenever it does begin to go past Jerusalem, there's a foundation. In fact, Paul writes that later that we are built on the foundation of the apostles. All right, everybody with me? The second thing that was happening in these seven years is that the right instruments had to be prepared. Going back to the beginning, God's plan to get the gospel from Jerusalem to the nations. There had to be this doctrine, this substance, or this foundation for the church, but he had, there had, the, the right people had to be there. We saw that in the past chapter with a guy named Paul gets converted. Now Peter's mentality is converted to the and now all the Jews are saying, yes, the gospel is for the Gentiles. Well, there was instruments that had to be prepared, and what we see just practically is that there was prejudice that had to come down. So how does that translate for us today? How does that translate for me and you today? Mike, I'm going to ask you to come up. I'm going to wrap up with this. And so I don't want to just look at this text and go, that's cool. How does that apply to what we're doing at Crosspoint now? And what is God doing? What are we doing? What is our plan? What is our purpose? We told you that, you know, as a church, we exist to glorify God by committing ourselves to God's truth, God's people, God's mission. That's who we are. So what are we doing in contrast in this? First of all, what, I, what we've been trying to do through the book of Acts and even before is that we're teaching the word of God. Like that is what we do. I was laughing for some reason uh, for the associational youth, Jones County Youth Baptist, whatever association it'll be now, they asked me to come preach at it. And Paul, I thought this was funny, before they actually asked, Paul let him ask me, Paul said, you do know what you're going to get with Justin, right? He's going to come in, he's going to read the Bible, he's going to say, this is what it says, and you're going to have a good day. 
He's not coming in with all these crazy stories. And that's where we've tried to be over the past three, four years, that we just teach the word of God, that we build a solid foundation. Because here's what's crazy. As in those seven years, as the apostles are just doing their things, who's doing the work? God's just working. God's just doing. God's adding the, the pieces to the puzzle. He saves, he saves Saul. He converts Peter's mindset to where the gospel's got to go. God's just working. As, as they're devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, man, God's just continuing to spread and strengthen his body. It's a beautiful thing. So we commit ourselves to, to teach God's word. Verse by verse, even if we don't understand it, if I don't understand it, Luke's going to be the one up here. You've already picked up on that. <laughs> Got to put that PhD that he's getting to use. <laughs> and at the same time, I believe, because of Scripture, that as if we're faithful to teach God's Word, that God is going to prepare the instruments in his body. He's going to prepare his people. He's going to develop his people. He's going to mature the faith of his people. And we're going to start longing for the word of God. Be longing to be filled by the Spirit. Be longing to be used by God. My, my prayer, and this is a weird prayer, and by the, I, I, there's other pastors that pray this, is that, that for some people in here that God brings, and as, we, as you sit under the word of God, that God begins to prepare your heart, that, that you don't stay here, that God sends you somewhere to plant a church or to be a pastor somewhere. I pray for some of our young people, even now, you don't have to be young to be called to ministry, that God calls you to go preach the gospel, that God calls you to go serve on a mission field somewhere. Not that we just build up and fill, put butts in seats here, but that, that through the preaching of God's word, that he will prepare people to go to, 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 to live out his plan for the gospel to get to the nations. This is a hub. This is a place where we are to send out. And I'm trusting God as we faithfully teach God's word that God's going to do a work in preparing his saints for the work of the ministry. And for some of us, it may not be go serve on the other side of the world. Maybe it's, man, God's calling me to, to, to begin to reach out to uh, the homeless in our community. And we partner in and we, we do that. Or God's calling us to, man, God's really calling me to do this and do that within the body, but in our community. I'm praying <laughs> because cross points move or cross points effectiveness in our town will require the saints spreading the gospel in their everyday lives. All right? Like I, I've thought often, it's like, let's have a big invite Sunday and get all, and that's, that's cool, but most of ministry and evangelism is going to happen outside these doors. Why? Because I've, I've told you already, I believe, and as a staff, we believe that this Sunday morning experience exists primarily for the saint. And we have the outsider in mind. If you're not a follower of Jesus, know that we've prayed for you and we've thought about you. But this service and the way that we've designed it is primarily for the edification of the saint so that we will be more energized and effective to be effective out there.
something God is also, as we're teaching God's word, as we're sitting under it, as God's working in our hearts, he's removing obstacles from our hearts and lives. That's what we see in this text. For the past chapters, that as God's working, the apostles are doing their thing. God is bringing instruments about and raising them up that there are big obstacles being removed that would keep them from fulfilling what God has called them to do. And I believe that's the power of the word. That when the word is taught, that it is sharp, that it divides, that it even discerns our thoughts and our motives way more than a feeble pastor can. And so for you, is, is God preparing you, calling you to something specific? Maybe God is calling you to, to really live a life that means that you're filled by the Spirit, that you're walking by the Spirit. He's calling all of us to, but maybe you feel it like heavy, and what God's trying to do is he's trying to remove some obstacles in your life and in your heart that's keeping you from doing that. Oh, will you pray? Spirit, fill me. <laughs> so much so that I will lay those things down. I don't really know how to wrap this service sermon up, so I'm just gonna say this. If God is calling you today, don't close off your heart to it. If God is leading you, sharing something, the Holy Spirit is drawing, oh, today be obedient. If God's calling you to salvation, say, Justin, this stuff is ludicrous. We already read that in 1 Corinthians that the man who's not saved, this stuff, he doesn't understand. There's no discernment because it's spiritual. So you trust in Jesus this morning. I'm gonna pray and then I'm gonna get out of the way and I'm gonna be standing back there. If you need to talk, pray, whatever you need to do, just holler at me. Michael, you good over there? Your fingers aren't numb yet? Okay. Father, we love you. God, we thank you for your love for us. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for just this beautiful text in Acts 11 that, that you say that you have given redemption to even the Gentiles. <clears throat> God, thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. who empowers, who leads, who guides, strengthens. God, I pray that today, God, that you will allow us to make it our heart's desire to be filled by the Spirit, to walk by the Spirit. God, we need your Spirit even if we don't Acknowledge it. God, we need the Holy Spirit to, to be a good husband and a good wife, a father, a mother, in the workplace. God, teach us through the power of your Spirit to connect what we do with your plan to get the gospel to all nations. Holy Spirit, teach us that. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand.